I'm going to read the text and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Beginning in verse 8, we looked at first seven verses last week. And in the same region, that is in the region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. On earth, peace. That's a statement angel made. They were glorifying God. And they uh, were proclaiming peace on earth. Interesting week for me. An interesting week for our country. And rather ironic that in the, the, the Advent week of peace, um, so much would happen. Um, heard a close personal friend had cancer on Monday. You and I learned on the news on Wednesday um, that yet again another horrible event has happened in our country, um, leaving people this Christmas season with a lot of grief, um, broad and, and, and of course, those families closely connected. Mom went, my mom went in for uh, heart surgery on, open heart surgery on Thursday, and uh, this is the advent of peace. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of people out there right here gathered in this room who are like, yeah, I could add to your, your list. Um, but Wednesday... You know, I, I, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but it, it's kind of like, well, when is this going to stop and, or where is it going to happen next? I mean, San Bernardino of all places, right? It begs a question, really. Um, in what sense did the angel mean on earth peace, that statement in the text we just read? Um, in what sense is there peace on earth that Christ came to give? It, the way it's seen sometimes, I'm just talking about my own perspective, like in banners of peace on earth, or it's sung in some of our carols, some of which are very lighthearted. It almost seems like what the angel declared as on earth peace is more of a, a wishful thought or maybe a, a seasonal pleasantry, like, you know, the beauty pageant uh, contestant who says, well, I want world peace. Everybody knows it's an impossibility, but you're wishing for it anyway. But this is a declaration on the part of heaven itself, on earth peace. So what exactly does that mean? And um, how are we supposed to get our heart and head around um, what the angel said uh, about what Jesus, the Christ, um, would bring to earth? How are we supposed to understand that? Good question. 
And that's what I want to answer this morning, really, is just to answer that question from the text itself. But before we get there, if I could provide a definition and maybe a couple ways in which we go wrong in understanding what the angel said on earth peace. In terms of definitions of of peace or shalom, um, we oftentimes think of peace as the absence of conflict. If, If there's no conflict, then we're at peace. And, and, and shalom or peace includes that idea, but it's, it's much larger than that. And I think even in our own experience, we know that peace is more than just the absence of conflict. I know this because some of you and me in uh, some of my uh, social settings, you have families with very special dynamics in which when you get together at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're just hoping there's going to be an absence of conflict. That, that Uncle Jim's not going to get drunk and start saying things he shouldn't say, or that your cousin Jennifer's not going to dredge up the past and start an argument all over again. And if you get through the holidays and get through the family feast with the absence of conflict, you get to the other side and go, whew, is that peace? That's not peace. Now, peace includes that, but peace is also the presence of that which is good. Um, It's the presence of blessing. It's the presence of wholeness and completeness, of being whole as a person, of being whole as a family, of being whole as a community. That that is the idea of shalom or peace. It's, It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence, the completeness, the wholeness of what is good. But that still, of course, begs the question, because we look around, we're not seeing wholeness um, or the presence of blessing in the world around us. We're not. So what exactly did the angel mean, with that definition in mind, on earth peace? Now, as I said, sometimes I think people misunderstand what's said by the angel because um, one of the biggest failures is is to misunderstand um, the problem or the cause that um, led to the demise or the destruction of peace. And if you don't get the, 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 the diagnosis wrong of what's wrong, like, then, 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 then there's no hope for a solution. So in order to understand how Jesus is the solution, you have to get back really to the cause. What is the root cause to the demise of peace, of this wholeness, of the completeness, the presence of blessing? Now, the world in which we live, is, is, have, right now, are searching for answers to that question. What is the cause? Um, and, and, and there's a whole bunch of answers to that. Is it education a problem with it? It's religion. Religion's the problem. If we just eradicate religion altogether and make everything secular, we're going to be at peace. Let me just tell you, that didn't work in communist Russia. <laughs> uh, maybe we should, um, maybe the problem is political. Maybe the problem is evolutionary. That is, we haven't evolved to the point where we can be at peace. Like, so what, what, what is the root cause? Now, I have to say, and my, my apologies to those of you who are John Lennon lovers, okay? Guy's a phenomenal musician and, and artist. But, you know, uh, after the Paris tragedy, there was a, a British rock band that shall remain nameless, because I actually have downloaded a couple of their songs, um, that, that sang a tribute song to the people um, who, who died and were affected by, by the, the events in Paris. And you know what the song was? It was Imagine. And I listened to them sing the song, and my heart sank. Imagine there's no heaven. 
Well, that brings a whole lot of comfort to people who just lost somebody. There's no heaven. But his, his song is a, is, a, is a prescription for peace, right? That's what it is. It's his prescription of peace. Here are some excerpts. Again, not to be a, I like John Lennon. But this is, this, is, this is the prescription. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no countries. Imagine no religion too. He's just wiped out politics, religion. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions, a brotherhood of man. And of course, I mean, it's a great, great melody, right? You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope that someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Is that a problem and is that the solution? I mean, interesting thing about that song is, is peace through the subtraction of everything, but there's no unifying presence of something wonderful. Where's, what's, what's, what's the problem? Uh, in order to understand the solution, you have to come back to the problem. And um, with that in mind, um, I want to focus on two things in the story we just read. Um, one is the revelation about Christ. Like what the first angel, you know, the chronology of the story is an angel shows up to shepherds, speaks a word of revelation to the shepherds, and then all of a sudden a whole bunch show up and kind of start a worship time. So it's revelation, then they worship. So I want to focus on the revelation about Christ, and then secondly, I want to talk about the recipients of this revelation, the shepherds themselves. In terms of the the revelation of who Christ is in this text, this is God's solution for peace, a savior king. You'll notice that the, that the, 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 the angel um, offers two functional titles as to who this baby is. For unto you, and this is the good news, this is that causes great joy for the people, to us, for our advantage, for our blessing, um, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That's title number one. Who is Christ the Lord or Christ uh, the anointed Lord? Those two titles speak to different aspects of who Jesus is. The first one, Savior, talks about how he will serve to the benefit of humanity in terms of saving or delivering us. The second one has to do with his supremacy or his position as king and rightful ruler. So one deals with his service to us to save us, and the second one with his position. There can be no peace without a righteous and just ruler, and that is who Jesus is. But in order for him to create for himself a people that can be at peace with him, he must first serve. And that's the saving part. He saved us in a way in order to establish peace. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting that... Um, the time in which Jesus lived, uh, he's not the first king to be called savior. Um, We were introduced to Caesar Augustus in chapter 2, verse 1 last week. You know, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. You know, the people of Rome, the poets of Rome, described him as the savior of Rome. The savior of Rome. Not Not only was he considered the savior of Rome, but he was, he was also the one who they considered established the Pax, or the peace of Rome. There are ancient coins, Roman coins, with the head of Caesar on one side, Caesar Augustus, and on the other side, the word Pax, that is peace. Jesus was born at a time in which the ruling emperor was looked at as a man of peace and the savior of Rome. 
interestingly enough, and we know this, by, by way of history, that the only way that a ruler can establish peace in our world, one of two ways actually, is by force or by assimilation through propaganda. That is, the way Caesar established his Pax Romana or his peace of Rome was through military might and power. And, and, and that peace then, therefore, is, 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 is largely fear-based peace. If you mess up, we will crush you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way they establish peace, is by force, from the top down, from the outside in. And, how, and, and, and all of that, of course, for his imperial glory. Contrast that with the way in which the king of kings comes, the savior who is Christ the Lord. As mentioned last week, desperate circumstances. Um, not the nice, cute little picture you have in your head, but desperate circumstances. Um, impoverished. A horrible, humble. And, and the reason he's born that way is because that really kind of, if you will, is typical of his life. Um, Jesus was someone who was presented as, as, as weak, as meek, as someone who didn't have a place to rest his head. Uh, because he came, and this is, so, again, such a contrast. He came not to be served as human kings are. He came to serve. And ultimately, as you well know, to give his life as a ransom for many. That is to pay. He came to pay, and that, 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 that's, that, that's the means to our peace, is payment. Most kings collect. Jesus pays. So it makes him so unique in world history. Came to pay. And that starts to get at the heart of where peace is lost. Uh, at the end of the day, all humans do on this planet is rack up debt. By every sin committed, a debt between us and God. The world in which we live looks at the issue of conflict and peace as largely a sociological or a horizontal thing, as conflicts between ideologies or different religious groups. Uh, the Bible insists that the deepest level in which there is no peace is a vertical one, in which there has been this communion broken with our creator. That's, that's, that's the primary one, and it's the deepest one. And there's, if you will, kind of two parts to that. The reason it's broken, as you know, and I'm just reminding this of our own sinfulness, is, is because we have in our hearts, as the, the unregenerate or unborn again or non-new created heart is, is fundamentally rebellious, fundamentally self-justifying and stubborn. That's the fundamental problem. But here's the, here's the thing. That makes us enemies of him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this way, but at the end of the day, Jesus, who's come as Savior, he came to save us, not just from our sin, but from God. That, listen, the biggest threat to humanity is is not in the Middle East. It's not. 
The biggest thing to fear is not AR-15s or grenades or radical Islam. Jesus would put it this way. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, and we've seen that this week, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the real threat. It's not just to die once, but then die twice. Body and soul. So if if there is this debt that has been accumulating in world history, there's a point at which the debt collector is going to come and repossess the debt. And the Bible tells us when that happens, that, 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 that God collects that debt, it will be, in the words of Hollywood, an extinction-level event. That is, it's game over. And all the troubles and conflicts and, and, and that we're dealing with will be a moot point. A moot point. That's that. That's, and, and I know some of you are thinking, well, that makes God out to seem so mean and angry. It's like, listen. <laughs> yes! In one sense, I'll come back around. I'll tell you what. You have two parties, any two parties, who are friends. And one party cheats on the other party. It could be with taking money that's his or adultery, whatever it is. You have an offending party and an offended party. When the offense happens, the offended party is angry. And justifiably so. Because the offending party has sinned against the offended party, has, has diminished and marred the nobility of his or her humanity. Has belittled them. Has sinned against them. Something has, has happened that now needs to be repaid. We know that. That's why, why but the offended party wants justice. And in order for those two parties to come back together, someone has to pay. Either the offending party has to do some kind of penance or restitution, they're paying, or the offended party forgives and says, I relinquish the debt. But you know what they do? They absorb the debt themselves. They absorb the loss themselves. Either way, when sin happens, there's a debt created and peace is lost. And on a vertical level, there's a debt between humanity and God. And I know that we live in a culture that does not have a God consciousness. I find it fascinating that before the 1800s, all over the globe, regardless of a person's religious persuasion, whether pagan, Christian, or Jewish, there was a God consciousness. That's why there are so many temples built all over the place. Why? Because they recognize there's a problem here between humanity and God. There was a God consciousness. Now there's no God consciousness. People don't feel like, wow, there's a real threat between me and God. They don't really acknowledge he exists. That doesn't make it any less true. That, 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 that gap is there. And that is the centerpiece. That's the root. That's the problem. That's... that's um, that's the core of, of why there's no peace, is our sin and God against our sin. It, but at the same time, as I said, I realize that creates, it can create a, a sense in which God seems mean or, or angry. And, and in a sense, the Bible says he is. But here's the thing. God sent his son 
to save us from himself. God sent his love to fulfill his justice so he wouldn't be angry at us anymore, fulfill the debt, so that we could be at peace. Two parties reconciled. That is what Jesus came to save us from, first and foremost, to reestablish connection with God himself. Um, In a manner of speaking, um, God himself says, listen, here are my terms of peace. I have paid the debt for anyone who will accept my terms of peace, namely this, that the only one who could ever pay your debt is my son, period. And in order for you to accept this, you have to accept fully and completely by faith alone and make him your king. It's acceptance and surrender. That's his terms of peace. That's his terms of peace. Most of us know this, um, this gospel. But it is. The core. If you think of peace like an onion, <laughs> peace like a river, peace like an onion, <laughs> at the very core and the heart of it all is peace with God, of being right with God, and that can only happen through Christ. And some of us are in here this morning and we don't feel at peace with God because we don't believe we're at peace with God, even though he's already paid it. And that's part of the celebration of this, is to be reminded, you know what? God says, listen, we're good, you know? We're good all the time. And that means I'm, I'm always for you, I'm always with you, because we're at peace. We're good because of the Savior King. We're good. And, and that is provides a level of of peace in our souls, or should provide a level of peace in our souls that should carry us through almost any storm that comes. I think of it like a little bit like my marriage. Um, I don't have a perfect marriage, but I have a good one. Um, There are times when I'm at odds with my wife, Deanna. She's upset at me, and I'm upset at her. And you know what? It feels a little bit like uh, how do I say this? Like, like, like there's a black hole. <laughs> Nothing's working out, you know? But when, when we're good, like, I know she loves me, she knows I love her, and we are at that place of peace, the sky could be falling. You know what? I'm still good, you know? Well, it's even deeper at the core of the onion is just to know that you and God are good. You're at peace. And when you know that you're at peace and he's always with you and always in you and always for you because he established peace with us, then you can weather the other stuff. That's the heart and the soul. And that's what Jesus came to offer first and foremost is that peace on a vertical level with God. And the thing is, is as we experience that peace with him, it, it, it really changes us and enables us to pursue peace with other people because um, uh, when God makes peace with us, he, he, he thinks of us in a different category than we used to be, right? He doesn't see us as strangers or enemies or foes. He sees us as friends and saints and loved ones. And, and, um, and, and with that comes a whole identity thing of, of, of knowing that really at the end of the day, what makes me me isn't the fact that I'm a Scottish German. It's not the fact that I'm a man versus a woman, um, 
that for a Christian, their deepest sense of, 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 of who I am is, is not tied to being Arab or Jewish or being Filipino or German or Scottish. It's not about which political party you're a part of. The deepest level is simply to know that we belong to the same family because of Jesus and we're loved by the Father. And at that level, we begin to experience peace with each other, brothers and sisters. It spills over. This peace of God spills over into other relationships. That's the... That's what the, the, the peace that Christ came to give the first time by dying and giving his life as a payment to bring us back together. But, but again, notice this is where the recipients come in. Who this revelation is given to. Um, the one on whom God's pleasure rests. And I think this helps us better understand the, 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 the sense of verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased, that he's not talking about at this particular time a universal peace of every single human being, but peace among those, those people with whom he, that is God, is pleased. Who are the those to whom God is pleased? I think the shepherds are the answer. Almost every individual or party or group that you meet in chapter 2 of Luke, they're not the priests, they're not the teachers, they're not the pastors, they're not the rulers, they're the, for all practical purposes, the nobodies. The angels don't, they, 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 don't, they don't bring the revelation to Jerusalem, they don't bring it to the temple, they're out in the fields revealing this truth to people who are operating on the lowest rung of the career ladder. You don't have to have a, a college degree to, to be a shepherd. Not to, if there are any shepherds in the audience, I don't mean to offend you. It's a meaningful job. But usually, like the youngest in the family, they got stuck with that job. And these are precisely the ones that God is pleased to reveal Christ to his Savior and King to. And that, 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 that draws a, um, a theme that is, that is found from beginning to the end of Scripture, that it's not to the smart that God reveals himself. It's not to the academic that God reveals himself. It's not to the strong that God reveals himself. It's not to the politically positioned that God reveals himself and makes peace. God resists the proud but he gives grace to the who. To the people who stop um, self-justifying, who will humble, humble their stubborn hearts, who are willing to acknowledge that they're not right, who are willing to acknowledge that you have needs, willing to acknowledge that I'm weak. That's humility. And when a person comes to that place of humility, of, of acknowledging need and acknowledging that you're wrong, like God is pleased to shine a light and to show you both the wonder of his son and establish peace with you. That's the, that's, that's, that's the peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there's really, and let me just say this, and I'll add this on, and then we'll, we'll close. 
um, with a, just a couple of takeaways, I suppose. What Jesus started when he came the first time, he will complete. The whole onion at the end of the day will be covered in peace. At this point, God has provided us peace with him and a peace that overflows in our relationships with other people. A peace that governs our hearts or has the potential to. And the, but the, there's, there's still a, a part of peace still undone that he will do. He'll complete the task that the Father has given to him to bring his shalom to the entire planet, the whole universe. That he has promised that he will come and he will judge the nations with equity. He will judge the living and the dead and bring all things to justice. All of those undone or unanswered or unpunished things that happen in human history that were just like, wow, who's going to take care of that? Well, he's going to finally take care of it. That he is going to call those he has made peace with to life and resurrection. That he is going to uh, reclaim and restore his creation and allow peace to dwell in the material universe. So that at some point... There's not going to be any more cancer, not going to be any more open heart surgeries. There's not going to be any more terrorism. There's not going to be any of those things that we have come so much to hate in this world. But there will be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he will make all things new. That's the hope we live for. Peace completed. But he offers peace to everyone now by way of a relationship with him. All of us. And that's something we have to drink in as believers. Constantly just drink it in and know that God is, he's, I'm good with you. We're, we're good because of what I did. That's why he gets all the glory, by the way. The angels are singing, God be glorified. And the shepherds are singing, God be glorified. Because he's the one who established peace, not us. And with that, just two takeaways. One, are you experiencing your peace with is, are you believing are you are you trusting that the payment was full today are are you resting in that relationship with God do you, do you know he has your back do you know he's good with you that's that's for those of us who believe if you don't believe it's like this is this is his peace accord his peace offering his is his his uh, terms of peace he provides it in the person of Christ and just simply calls you to Submit and believe. But there is one more thing that I, I just want to encourage us all to do. The pattern. Who's the one who initiated peace? God did. He initiated peace even when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins. By coming to us. And I believe as God is with us, so we are supposed to be with others. That's the pattern that Jesus set. So during this Christmas season, when those family members come, some of whom you don't like, maybe they've offended you and you'd rather not even speak to them. And I am assuming a level of wisdom here that I don't have time to qualify. Initiate, as God initiated with you. Maybe it's just saying a kind word. Maybe it's reflecting on a positive characteristic in their life. Maybe it's writing a letter or giving a gift of just reaching out as God reached out to us as a peacemaker. 
that, that's how our world changes, is that God's people do to others as he has done to us, of us loving because he first loved, uh, loved us. So if there's names in your head of people that you feel division with, animosity towards, maybe even bitterness, I just encourage you this, this time of, in which we're celebrating the peace that God gave to us by way of his initiation to, to go ahead and, and, and actually do that this Christmas. And maybe nothing will happen, but you know what? At very least, your father in heaven is going to go, yep, that's my son, and I'm pleased, even if it doesn't do anything. But you never know. An act of kindness to establish peace with another person may indeed be the one thing that leads to a new road and a new sense of peace with somebody that you've had a falling out with. So I just encourage you, I challenge you, all of us in here, to, to do that. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your peace. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you that we're you're good with us. Thank you that um, we can hold on to this truth of knowing that you paid everything completely and there's nothing left to be paid. And um, we're thankful for um, the kind of king we have, a king like no other king, a king who laid aside his glory and came down as one of us and, and lived a, a uniquely um, poor life in order to lay his life down for us. And we're just grateful. Thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us hope. And thank you for establishing peace. In Christ's name, amen.